All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. Forty five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to episode 44 of the DFO Rundown at dailyfaceoff.com. I'm Jason Greger alongside Frank Saravalli, who's uh, playing Hurt today. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a Kucherov or uh, other type of injuries, but uh, we'll get to that in a second. And as once again, we're coming to you live from the woodjerseys.com studio. I have my Boston Bruins jerseys. Frank has his uh, Toronto Maple Leafs one. And of course, this is an officially licensed NHL product. You can get it at woodjerseys.com. You want to take your fan cave, your office room to a new level. You can do it at woodjerseys.com. Getting new teams all the time. And uh, Frank, how you doing? How, uh, how are you feeling here? Is this like a punctured lung? What's happening? Uh, I wish it was a punctured lung. This has been a very nasty stomach virus. I don't know where I picked it up at, but uh, envision like dumb and dumber style sequences oh. where you're just, oh. yeah, not, it hasn't been pleasant. No, no, you don't. Uh, so basically not a good uh, first date is what you're saying. No. And you know, what's hilarious. Um, I actually, it's funny you said that cause I got home from Tampa on Thursday and my wife was like, Hey, um, your mom offered to watch the kids. Like, you know, do you want to go out for dinner? I'm like, Oh, I don't know. Like, I'm like not really feeling so great. And we ended up going anyway. And like half of it, I was in the bathroom. So like literally first date. Yeah. Oh, awesome. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Oh yeah. Knock on wood. It's been a long time since I've, uh... I, you know what? And the funny thing is the running joke with me and my buddies all the time is like what I would do for a three week stomach virus to lose like 30 pounds. <laughs> and, and now I'm actually like, yeah, this is it. Yeah, And you're like, no, I'd, I'd rather just, yeah, I was kidding. I'd rather just well, get on Peloton well, work out or change a diet. That that's, yes. that's not going to be as painful. Not yeah. going to be as painful short term anyway. Um, there's lots going on. Mike Russo is going to uh, join us today. Uh, here we are. The buyout window officially opens up. And of course you had it at dailyfaceoff.com. Uh, like the obvious one, of course, is Tony D'Angelo. Uh, you know, you've uh, been on that story for well, ever since it uh, happened many months ago. And, and that's an easy buyout for the Rangers, uh, just because he's only at one third, you know, then there's guys like James Neal, but I get a sense. Some of these teams, Frank might be waiting until after the expansion draft to pull the trigger. What do you think? They could. Um, I mean, that's, that's an obvious, you know, way to move forward. But in this case with the protection lists that are due, if you have questions and the Minnesota wild are a perfect example with a Zach Parise moving forward, and we can ask Russo about that, you'd want to do it before then to free up a protection spot so that you don't have to protect a guy like Zach Parise who has the no move clause that forces you to protect him. So 
that was one of the things that, you know, was a theme going back to 2017 when three players were bought out that had no move clauses in their deals that uh, forced them to be protected. And so those happened pretty quickly once the buyout window opened so that teams could free up those protection spots. So it's a two-part thing. You get the cap savings, but you also get the expansion protection list savings as well. Yeah, like guys like Zach Parise make sense. James Neal and Edmonton, I'd be I'd be surprised if they buy them out before the expansion draft. I could see it afterwards for sure. But so, wouldn't uh, like wouldn't wouldn't buying? I guess you, James Neal, you weren't protecting either. You're way, not protecting. Yeah, there's no right. benefit, yeah. right? And right. so why not leave him exposed on the off chance Seattle's like? Because the one thing, um, like people, James Neal still scored 19 goals in 55 games in 2020, and then he got COVID. And then he got really sick again during the season. When you look at the lack of actual goal scores available in the expansion draft, like I highly, highly doubt it. But if you're Edmonton, you're like, well, you never know. Maybe Seattle's like, well, let's take this guy. You know, he yeah, was there's no chance though. Expansion draft, but so there, but there's no benefit for Edmonton to buy him out because they don't have to protect him. Well, I mean, other than freeing up the cap space, if you want to yeah, make another move. No, no, but I meant before the expansion draft, right? If you're going to do it at, at, I mean, I don't know if it really, like, I, you know, I'd be shocked if the Seattle Kraken took James Neal. Oh, yeah. He just, even if he scores goals, wouldn't you just wait until he's bought out and then sign him for pennies on the dollar? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. No, like they're not, they're not going to draft them. I think, I think Ken Holland, the reason I believe the orders wouldn't buy him out beforehand would go to, you're going to exhaust every possible option you can, because if you, because he's, you're not, you're not protecting him. And then if on the off chance on the 22nd, you want to buy him out, then you buy him out. Right. But wouldn't you do it sooner rather than later to get the cap space savings so that you can make other transactions if you need to, if you want to trade for Duncan Keith, so to speak. Well, but they're but the orders aren't up. The orders have boatload of cap space in the offseason, right? Like they whether you sign Dunk, whether you trade or not for Duncan Keith would be irrelevant to the cap right now for Edmonton, right? They're not. You could you could add Keith with James Neal on the roster and still be fifteen mil under. Yeah. Well, and look um, to touch on the Duncan Keith situation for a second with the Oilers. My understanding is that there is definite interest there, but I think that that interest and paying a certain price has waned in the last week or so that the Oilers have had discussions with the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, First off, there's two things in play. One Chicago is not willing to retain any salary. And the second thing is whatever pieces the Oilers had on the table to try and make something like that happen. And I believe it's centered around Caleb Jones plus something else. And you can understand why Jones was part of the picture because Chicago wants to also try and bring in Seth Jones, his brother, uh, and having both of them there might entice the situation uh, to get him to try and sign long-term in Chicago. But whatever Edmonton had on the table, my understanding is one or one or more of those pieces has since been removed. And Edmonton has basically offered a more or less take it or leave it type deal Um that there's only a certain price that they're willing to pay given that Chicago is not willing to retain money. And I understand it at this point, we talked about this previously on the pod, the idea of, you know, having Duncan Keith play a very specific role at this point in his career, you know, he can't be playing 26 minutes a night for you. Yeah. I broke it down a week ago on the Duncan Keith situation from what I heard and things that that didn't make sense to me. Um, I believe that Chicago's in a tough spot because they believe they're trading Duncan Keith, who's a three-time cup winner and a two-time Norris trophy and winner. And he's not that player now Um, not retaining salary. I don't think it's going to happen in any sort of trade, but the, the, the second rounder and and Caleb Jones, Edmonton doesn't have a second rounder this year and uh, they do have one next year. Okay. But even if they would have offered that, I don't see how Chicago wouldn't have said no, but here's the thing. So let's say you would have trade Caleb Jones in a second for Duncan Keith. Well, then Seattle can just claim Caleb Jones in the expansion draft because Chicago would protect three defensemen not named him. So um, I've never, I never really bought into the rumblings of what was on the trademark because it didn't really make any sense. Like, so Chicago, I guess they're like, well, we just get a second rounder for, for uh, Duncan Keith. That's probably in at 5.5 mil. That's a good trade. But I just, I don't see Edmonton acquiring Duncan Keith at the full price. I said it a week ago in the conversations I had with people, that was not going to happen. I, I think a trade for Duncan Keith will happen when Chicago recognizes that, 
they're not trading like, and they're in a tough spot. I get it. Duncan Keys played the second most games in franchise history in Chicago. He's won three Stanley cups and he wasn't just like, you know, a guy on a cup winning team. He was playing 31, 28 and 27 yep. minutes a night in their three cup runs. Like he was a legit player. And I know his, his war numbers for analytics. People aren't great. The last few years, totally valid, but you also have to consider he played most of his ice time with a raw rookie in each of those two seasons. Mm -hmm. And he's had zero continuity with the, any defense partner like last year the most minutes he played with anyone was was a rookie ian mitchell and that was only 27 percent of his time like mm -hmm. it uh, there's a, i think duncan keith can help a team in a right spot he's not a top pair defenseman anymore but he's just not worth 5.5 and and i think ultimately if chicago is going to want to deal him and and if, if he says he wants out frank every team knows that eventually they're going to trade him because you don't want guys back in your room who don't want to be there well, I think the reason why Chicago doesn't have any interest in retaining money is because his real cash is so much lower than his cap hit that you're basically getting Duncan Keith for nothing. He's only owed a total of $3.6 million over the next two seasons. So that's 1.8 a year averaged out in real dollars when his cap hit is 5.53. So, you know, moving forward, the Blackhawks are like, look, I know we know what the cap hit says, but what the real cash says, we're not going to dig into our pocket to pay that too when it's already so much lower than the cap hit. Yeah, so that's, well, that's, that's really the hangup. And, and, I, and I truly believe from talking to, to people around the league that the Blackhawks are going to hold firm on not being willing to retain because as they see it, 5.5 isn't outrageous for what they believe he still brings to the table. No, and that's fair, but the, the truth is, and, and you're right, it's 2.1 million uh, in cap space this year and then 1.5, sorry, 2.1 in actual dollars this year and 1.5 the following year. So the money itself, but if you're a competitive but That's team, perfect for a team like Seattle. Yeah, sure. You've got but, abundant cap space and it costs less than what it says on paper. Like I, I, I think Seattle is a team that makes a lot of sense for Duncan Keith you know, add in the leadership element and the resume and the name value in your marketplace. And then on top of that, put a guy that wants to be out in that area, Pacific Northwest. So the four teams, I believe that, you know, he'd be looking to go to are Seattle, Vancouver, Calgary, and Edmonton. And, you know, I, I just think it works out. The question is, what is Seattle going to give up to get him if anything. And that's the one thing that the Hawks, I think weren't okay with was the idea of letting him walk in the expansion draft. If he decides to waive his no move clause and go for nothing. Well, I, I think that's, what's, that's, what's lowering his value overall. And while Chicago can say the money is so low, it's a great deal. If you're a team like Edmonton or, or even Calgary, who thinks they can compete for a playoff spot, 5.5 million cap space is what matters more than the actual dollars. And sure. so that's what makes it challenging uh, of a deal for sure. Now, Tony D'Angelo is going to get bought out by the Rangers. Um, you've been all over that story, Frank. Uh, who do you see as suitors for D'Angelo? You know, it's interesting, the teams that had checked in on D'Angelo uh, going back to last season around the deadline, and I don't think anyone publicly wanted their name, their team name connected to him because of the way that he left New York and how toxic the situation was in terms of, um, you know, basically how he's viewed in the marketplace. And in fact, I'm really interested to see, I have no doubt that Tony D'Angelo is going to get signed this summer. My question is when? Does it happen when free agency opens, are there enough teams knocking on the door that they can be pitted against each other and he's able to sign a contract quickly? Or does a team try and slow play this well into August when everyone kind of dozes off and is at the cottage or is at the beach and they try and pull the trigger then? So I think, you know, having known a few of the teams and seen a few of them that were reported, I think Montreal, Winnipeg, um, I wonder about a team like the Florida Panthers, there, there were a number of teams that had expressed interest then in trying to make a transaction work, including having him play the season in the AHL to see if he was a fit for their organization. Would he make sense for a team like the Oilers? Well, Edmonton's got to improve their defense. There's no question about it. But you need um, the power play quarterback guy. I know Bouchard is expected yeah, to be I the don't, guy that steps up to replace Tyson Barry, but... He doesn't have the 50 plus point season on his resume that Tony D'Angelo does.
No, that's true. Um, but th they and, and potentially I, for pennies. Yeah, like he's not going to well, be signing for a lot of money. That was my next question. Like, are we talking one point five to two million? Is that what you think? Uh, it's hard to pin down because I don't know what the interest is going to be like exactly. But I, I would guess it's going to be for significantly less than he was making. <laughs> yeah, no question. Like, I think Edmonton needs defenders. Well, Edmonton obviously would like to sign Adam Larson first. That's going to be a, a big thing for them before the uh, before Seattle gets the opportunity on the eighteenth. Uh, to talk to him. Um, the other one, Frank, to me that I'm intrigued by now that the, the, it's over in Tampa Bay, congratulations, uh, winning the Stanley mm -hmm. cup. But I just want to say Nikita Kucherov's press conference after the game. I know some Montreal fans are upset with what he said. Um, first of all, he was clearly a few beers deep at that point. I don't know any human being who uh, a few beers deep might have, well, not every time, but might sometimes um, say the wrong thing, whatever. But you know what? Uh, I had no problem with what Nikita Kucherov says. He's not there to appeal to Montreal fans at all, right? It was he, an unnecessary shot, though. Like, it can't, I mean, I have no issue with it, but like, why even, why go there? You just won the Stanley Cup. Well, because, year like I row. said, like, Frank, uh, many beers deep is, uh, is, you know, you, everybody has, and everybody, if, if you attest themselves, can admit that, you know, probably say something you regret in hindsight, a little bit cocky or a little bit more relaxed and, Really, like if the worst thing Nikita Kucherov says in his NHL career is, geez, Montreal, give me a break. They, they celebrate like they won the cup. Their cup, like the last line was actually a really good chirp because it hits right to the heart of it. And, and Montreal fans might not like it. Any opposing fan base wouldn't Her like final it. final was the last round. I just, when I see media people complaining, I, I literally want to just be like. It makes no sense. Because that's back. exactly what we, we want. And, it's and like every, nothing he said was harmful. Their mind, and then all of a sudden we're criticizing him, and then we wonder why they don't do it. I mean, yeah. I loved it. I was sitting there. Unfortunately, it's all on Zoom, so I was sitting there in a Tampa hotel lobby. Like I was with a bunch of other reporters, and we were actually like cheering as it was happening. We were like, this is must-watch. Uh, my favorite line, actually, I need to add it to my arsenal, was when he kept saying, that's some number one bullshit for me. So that's going to be uh, something that I, I use regularly moving forward now because Nikita Kucherov said it. But it was awesome. Shirtless, honest, raw, and, you know, it, it was an NBA-style press conference. Our heads would explode in the hockey world if, if that's more of what we saw on a regular basis. And, and let's be honest. At the end of the day, it's extremely harmless to say, hey, they celebrated like they won the cup. Their cup was last mm -hmm. round, honestly. Yeah. That's not offensive to anyone. So let's maybe get some thicker skin for those who can't handle it. Like, give me a break. If that's, if that's going to offend you, you might want to step off uh, and maybe, uh, you know, log off of social media for an hour. Or, or, two. or just crack open a beer. Yeah, it, that's true. Now, Tampa is a team. I look at their protection list, Frank, and I crunch their numbers. I think there's a good chance they might expose Ryan McDonough because he's got a no trade, a full oh, no trade. Came around on that, huh? And... Like, you know, they've got young foot and, and doesn't mean that Seattle takes them, but they've got to, you look at the trades they're going to make and like Ryan McDonough has five years left. He's a really good defenseman, but at 6.75, you know, what are they going to get in return? Like, I'm not sure they're going to have to Patrick Marlowe, uh, any of their players here necessarily and, and give away a first rounder for a team to take them. But every team knows they're up against it. I'm sure every team's a little bit annoyed at what they did last year uh, to manipulate the salary cap legally. I should say they did nothing wrong, nothing wrong. And I think it's kind of due to a shortened season more than anything else, but like, I don't, I won't be stunned if Brian McDonough's name is on the list. I'm not saying they do it, but I won't be stunned if it is. I, I feel like, it took you a while to get to that point. That's exactly the point I was making last episode or two episodes ago when we had Ryan Clark on, like it was exactly that Ryan McDonough, fantastic player, but five years left at six, seven, five in years, like three, four and five of that deal are probably going to be pretty painful. You probably need to get out in front of it if you can and entice someone else to take him. And, yeah, and we'll again, see. I don't know if they need to do any enticing based on the way he played in the playoffs. He oh. was Tampa's best defenseman. And the playoff run, with all due respect to Victor Hedman. Oh, McDonough was excellent, and um, you know, I look at I look at up front the trades that they're going to have to make for some of their forwards. And the other thing is, though, 
Blake Coleman, do you think there's a chance they find a way to keep him like that Gord Coleman Goudreau line was excellent for uh-huh. them. And I'm not sure how, like, obviously they'll get a raise a little bit. And, and Blake Coleman's a guy who probably can be a top six on a lot of their other teams. He was a 20 goal scorer multiple times in New Jersey. I'm just kind of curious, you know, how the enticement of a three-peat, which we haven't seen since the New York Islanders, if, if that entices any of those players to want to come back and, you know, maybe they squeeze maybe out one or a two, little bit less. two of the other guys. Yeah. I'm just curious about it now watching, you know, all their press conferences and the big, you know, the motivation was back to back. I get it. And having it in front of your fans, but we haven't seen a three Pete Frank since the Islanders. And with all due respect to, you know, the idea of a three Pete, And I was actually having this conversation quickly with a lightning player over the last couple of days at a certain point when you're Blake Coleman, you're hitting free agency at the age of 29. You got to collect the money. I mean, not to say he hasn't been earning a nice living, but at 1.8 for the last couple of years, this is his one chance to cash in. And so you've got your name on the mug twice. I think this is when you go to market and get paid. But I mean, it's money isn't everyone's motivation, but I would imagine in this case that you'd have to think long and hard about taking it somewhere else. And He's going to be more than doubling his money. Like, I'm curious which guy, like, we know that Tyler Johnson's obviously going to be moved somehow, some way like that. That's the obvious one. And you even mentioned it, maybe a potential buyout for him. But even after him, Frank, there's probably two other big contracts that have to be moved. And I'm just fascinated by which ones. You you set up your expansion list exactly kind of the way we talked about. Go eight skaters, one goalie. And your four forwards are Sorelli, Point, Stamkos, and Kucherov. Your four defensemen are Hedman, Sergachev, Chernak, and Foot. And then you make Seattle take a choice between one of those forwards that's high-priced or McDonough, either Palat, Gord, Johnson, or McDonough on D. And you're gar- almost guaranteed at that point, unless they take a young guy off your roster – to lose one of those high priced players and you don't have to do any, it's almost like a blessing that Seattle is in the mix at entering the league at this point, if they can take one off your hands. It like, I just don't see how they could turn down Yanni Gord. I really like him as a player, but man, like you wonder if Seattle just wants to put the screws to Tampa Bay uh, just to force them to have to give away more assets to get rid of those contracts. Well, that's, that's why I was that. saying, that's why you protect Cal foot, because if not, they're saying, look, we're taking foot all day oh, long. Yeah. Look, if sure. they want to take someone else and leave you with your good players, if they want to take Mitchell Stevens, or if they want to take Matthew Joseph, like that's fine that just means you're going for the three Pete and you're going to try and find a way to shed a salary elsewhere. Yeah. It's going to be fascinating to watch here the next uh, few days, the protection lists uh, we'll get to uh, Mike Russo because you know, the, the huge contract extension for eight years for Erickson Eck, um, Zach Parise, of course, uh, a high potential buyout candidate and uh, Bill Guerin, who, who I feel is going to inherit uh, Jim Rutherford's title as GM willing to make the most trades. I believe that that uh, Minnesota is going to be a team to watch for a variety of reasons uh, this off season. So uh, we're going to have Mike on who's of course uh, tapped in better than anyone when it comes to the wild and what they're going to do. So we'll get to that, but uh, let's bring in uh, producer Ty for buy or sell. All right, buy or sell, as always, guys, is brought to you by Jock Market, the hybrid between fantasy sports and the stock market. That promo code DFO50 gets you a $50 deposit bonus, jockmkt.com or on your app store. I'm going to get things going with the Con Smythe winner, Andre Vashilevsky, 26 years old, two rings, a Con Smythe. He's been nominated for the Vesna four times now. I'm going to say that by the time his career's done, and it could be potentially, you know, 10 to 13 years still, he'll be regarded as a top five goaltender of all time. Jason, you buying or selling? Yeah, I'm probably buying, man. Vasilevsky's unreal. Now, I know I tweeted out the picture that, and I get that the <laughs> camera angle added it, but he looked gargantuan in that picture. So uh, he, is a, he is a very big goaltender. But the thing about Vasilevsky is it's so impressive is just how quick he is side to side. And that's where the game's going now. That's where the game's going. I, I don't see many weaknesses in his game. The only reason he wouldn't be there, I believe, is if he suddenly run into uh, injury problems. I think right now he's the best goalie in the NHL. And uh, I really don't, I'm not going to say it's not close, but I think he's the clear number one. Yeah, I'm buying as well. Um, I agree with you. I think he's pretty universally regarded as the best goaltender in the world. And by the way, speaking of the shot of Vasilevsky with the chest protector, 
I saw an awesome meme going around the other day that said, now we know where they were hiding the extra $18 million. Uh, number two, going to the other side of that Stanley Cup final matchup, the Montreal Canadiens. I'm looking at the playoff picture next year. I'm looking at their roster. I'm going to say the Habs missed the playoffs next year. Frank, you buying or selling? You know, I was actually thinking about that, how <laughs> ridiculous that division is going to be. Good. And I have to go back and look and see exactly who is in that division because I'm all thrown off. Florida, but Tampa, Boston, Toronto would be ahead of them, right? Yep. Um, yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna buy that um, that the Montreal Canadiens missed the playoffs next season. The NHL Cinderella stories have not had good uh, seasons mm-hmm. after in a lot of cases, so uh, it, it makes a lot of sense. And, and and a lot of those teams weren't even in a division as good as as Montreal. So yeah, I think it's I think it's very plausible, especially if they lose Jake Allen. Suddenly they got to play Price more. It's interesting. I, I saw a good stat too. Um, this year was the 18th consecutive year that a different team lost in the final. So there's been no come back and lose again teams. And by the way, it's not unprecedented. You know, that Dallas team this year, they were the finalists last year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lots. Uh, let's go to number three, back to the lightning quickly. I'm going to say the roster dismantling that might need to happen will happen quickly. And that by the NHL draft, at least three big contracts will be moved off that team. That includes the expansion draft, but I'll say three big contracts by the draft moved out of Tampa. Jason Biner selling. So the end of the draft you're talking. So yeah. We'll make trades on. Jeez, that's a good. Yeah, I'm going to buy that. I, I, They're definitely losing one in the expansion draft for sure. And I think uh, Breeze, well, everybody knows the situation in Tampa. It's not a surprise. You mm-hmm. can't hide it. So, yeah, I think uh, they will do it. I'm not saying that they're going to get a lot of great returns, but uh, for sure, I would agree. I think three guys will be gone. I'm going to sell, and not to be a big conspiracy theorist guy, I'm really wondering about Victor Hedman and his injury. I, oh, I don't Frank. have any clarity on that. It's pretty clear <laughs> that Victor Hedman was dealing with a pretty significant, everyone believes it was a knee injury. So are you saying Kucherov 2.0? Is this what you're hinting at? All I'm saying is look at Gary Bettman and, and Bill Daly's response in the press conference when I asked them before the series about it. There's not going to be a change in how this is handled. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, well, the players don't want doing it. doing the same exact thing again. Yeah, the players are the ones who don't want the trade. You know why? Because there was $9.5 extra million dollars to go around for other players this year because Kucherov's yeah. on LTIR. So the players will never vote against it. The challenge is if Hedman has surgery before the season begins, that's a lot longer to stay out compared to Kucherov. Right, because it's an 82-game season. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, no, I, I mean, look, I, I do think that that, you know, I, I we don't know what he's dealing with. So that's why I'm just, I'm saying sell yeah. until I understand what I, what, what this injury is and if there is surgery needed. We we've spent a lot of time talking about buyouts so far this episode, Frank, you got your list up on dailyfaceoff.com. I'm going to say at least five buyouts around the NHL, Frank buying or selling buying. I honestly, I really think it's going to be in that eight to 12 range. Wow. Um, I do think there's a lot of teams that are considering it and whether they pull the trigger or not. I mean, you could see two from the Oilers alone, as you guys have mentioned, I still think with Koskinen, you ride it out just to get yeah. the cap hit off and, and get through this last year. Um, but, you know, something to consider for sure. I'd actually probably buy out Koskinen ahead of Neil, but I'm biased because I think Neil can at least score you 15 or 18 goals and Koskinen is what he is, but they won't buy out both. I would crush them uh, for dead cap space when they think they're going to be really competitive. But uh, I'm buying as well. I, I think I'm going to guess that there will be seven. Last one for you guys, Colorado Avalanche. They got some big contracts that need to be handed out in two pretty big UFAs in Philip Grubauer and Gabriel Landeskog. I'm going to say one of those two doesn't end up back in Colorado next season. Jason, you buying or selling? Nah, I'm selling. Um, uh, Landeskog, I don't see the captain leaving. I, I think he, he feels that that team is really close and uh, they're right on the brink of it. He wants to be there. And, uh, and Grubauer, Grubauer's a good goalie. You know, obviously he's, he's going to get a raise because he got uh, as a Vesna finalist, but I, I, he could go somewhere else. And I don't know if he's going to have the same success. They've got a really good foundation in Colorado. They got lots more good players coming. So I think both stay. Yeah, I'm going to sell as well. Uh, look, you've got some LTIR possibilities with a guy like Eric Johnson that could bring you additional cap space. You could also buy him out. Um, and they've got $25 million in cap space at this point in projected space. So, 
you know, you're dealing with McCarr, you're dealing with Landeskog, Grubauer. I don't think Grubauer is going to be a super high-end ticket. Um, they'll find a way to make it work. There you go. That is Buy or Sell brought to you by Jock Market. Promo code DFO50 gets you a $50 deposit bonus. All right, Frank, let's get right to it. Uh, we got Mike Russo coming in, the Minnesota Wild. Lots of interesting angles to look at. Our next guest is one of the longest serving beat reporters in the National Hockey League. He first started out covering the Florida Panthers way back in the 90s for the Sun Sentinel. He has since been covering the Minnesota Wild for more than two decades. Michael Russo, welcome to the DFO Rundown. How are you? What's up, Frank? Yeah, glad to have you on board. Really busy time for a lot of teams, but particularly the Minnesota Wild. It seems like Bill Guerin at this point is juggling a lot of different balls as the Wild gets set, not just with the buyout window opening. Everyone's curious, do the Wild you know, potentially try and buy out Zach Parise from that mammoth contract that still remains for a guy that was a healthy scratch? You've got the expansion draft coming up, and Parise actually ties into that a little bit as well. Uh, Mike, what's going on? What have you been covering? What have you been after at this point with the Minnesota Wild? Well, I, I think all of that, Frank. I mean, right now, I think Billy's got a Billy Garen's got a lot of uh, balls in the air, and and it's it's really hard to get a full grasp of exactly what's going on with the with the off season. And you know, I think he's trying to figure out exactly the amount of cap state space that he uh, needs to re-sign both Kirill Kaprizov and Kevin Fiala. And um, and as you mentioned, they've got some expansion. Uh, uh, issues that they've got to deal with as well. And, you know, as you, as you also mentioned, the buyout window opens today and they've got to decide on Zach Parisi. Um, you know, really what it comes down to is that, is that one year this year where you get a five million, about a $5 million um, cap, uh, you know, uh, extra cap space for next year and they might need it. And you're going to get six and a half the following year, seven and a half, seven and a half, and then eight thirty-three the next four years after that. But that 5 million could be so valuable this upcoming year that they might have to do it. And I don't think that he would make that decision until he sees who he's going to lose in expansion. Um, but, but we'll see in the next couple, uh, you know, pretty much 10 days, what's going to happen with this off season. Well, so much of it centers around Kirill Kaprizov, as you mentioned, and obviously Fiala's ticket is going to be pretty big as well. But Kaprizov, you know, it's been interesting. I saw your report. I also saw the tweet from Kevin Weeks a couple weeks ago. Uh, and in digging in and doing my own reporting on the situation, it seems like whatever talk has been out there about the potential of Kaprizov actually going back to Russia is probably a little bit more than just a mere threat given – you know, the total dollars that may be offered to him on a really short-term deal if, the, if they can't come to, together on something with an extension for the Wild. It, you know, the sense I get is that the Kaprizov camp has more interest in being on the short-term end. The Wild would obviously rather be on the long-term end. How does this get sorted out? Yeah, I mean, I think both sides are going to have to compromise. Like, I just don't see Billy Guerin blinking, uh, at least the last time that we've discussed this with him on a short-term deal. And the reason why is because it took him five years to get here. He could become an unrestricted free agent in, in 2024 in just three seasons. And his agent is also Panarin's agent and Panarin uh, originally signed a bridge deal under his previous agent. And that bridge deal ended and he wound up becoming an unrestricted free agent. He signed a big ticket in New York. And I think that's what the wild are trying to advance uh, or avoid. And the, the issue is if you sign him for three or less, you can walk him straight to free agency. So I think that both sides are going to have to um, understand that like, from Billy Guerin's standpoint, that, 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 um, you know, the Caprice doesn't want to sign a seven or eight year deal for two reasons. One, the cap is going to continue to escalate. And potentially if he continues on this trajectory, he could become a 10 or 11 or a $12 million player in the next three or four years, potentially. Um, but but I think that Kaprizov also needs to understand that the Wild have waited a long time for him and they don't want to sit there and, and put him in a position where he could walk straight to free agency. So I think that they're going to have to settle in a four or five year deal and uh, we'll see if they can get it done. I know they were going to talk this week. It was more of a touch base meeting. I don't believe that it was something that they figured that they were going to be able to iron out this contract. But the big thing here is I think originally in this whole you know complicated offseason that the Wild had, that they th figured that it would be just the easiest thing to get Kaprizov done, and then they can move on to Fiala and Eriksson Ek. And when they ran into complications with Kaprizov, that's when he suddenly turned to Eriksson Ek. 
And I think Billy was kind of surprised at this for the amount of money. I mean, they're, they're trying to make Kaprizov the highest paid player in franchise history on a long-term deal. And I think he was almost blown away that, that it was not as simple, uh, you know, just sign on the contract and take the money. Uh, so uh, it, it's definitely thrown a little wrinkle into this offseason and now suddenly has them counting up dollars and cents and, and really, I think, um, ha- having a, a situation where they just almost don't know exactly where to go next. And so they've got a lot of things that they're trying to tackle right now, guys. So, Mike, are you are you suggesting that they were willing to give Kaprizov eight years at like 10 mil because Parise and Suter are 9.5? So yeah. they would have paid him that much on a, on a, or on a, on a salary average? Yeah, well, Parisi and Suter are seven and a half. Um, so they, they were 98 divided by 13. Oh, right, so, right, yeah, right. so say seven and a half. So they were offering – my gut says they were offering um, around $9 million on an eight-year deal, probably eight and a half, eight on a seven-year deal. And, um, and right now that hasn't been uh, – it's not only hasn't been accepted, it's pretty much been rejected from Kaprizov's camp. And so this is like one of the first negotiations I've ever covered where the team is throwing the world at a player that's played 55 games. And, and he's just like, no, no, I want a lot less money and a lot less term. And, um, and that's the situation that Billy has found himself in. And it's, it's complicated the Fiala matter because Fiala also wants some significant money in term this offseason. And it's, uh, you know, thrown a situation to exactly figuring out what they want to do with expansion and everything. So it's really created a bit of an issue here. So then if we look at that four or five year deal, are we talking Matt Barzell numbers then on a, on a shorter term deal, like seven mil? That's what I think that I think Billy would be willing to go there um, on a, on a bridge deal. I, I'd be shocked if he went higher than, you know, six and a half, seven at all. And so that's why, I mean, this is, uh, you know, I, I don't know where this is going to go. I, 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 I'd be shocked if this if this kid came here and wound up just saying, you know what, I'm going to go back to the KHL. But I think that's the threat that that's that's his only leverage because he's the type of you know restricted free agent that he can't sign an offer sheet, he can't sign with any other team, um, can't go to arbitration. So the, really, his only leverage is to threat is to threaten to go back to to Moscow, and obviously. Uh, Moscow would would take him back with open arms and give him a uh, you know give him a bunch of money to play there, but I, I just think this is all going to be an empty threat at the end of the day. He wants to play in the NHL. He showed last year how good of a player he could be, that he could be a star in this team, and I think the Wild want to show him that he could be the guy that leads this team into the future. But it needs to be you know I think both sides need to understand that if you're on you've really played 55 games in the NHL to expect. Um, that they're going to show, throw 11, 12 min, million at you on an eight or seven year deal at this point in his career. I just don't see that happening. So that's why I just think both sides are going to comp- have to compromise. And Billy's going to have to understand their position that they want to go on a shorter term deal, but they've got to come up and, and throw the wild a bone here and at least take a pre past his UFA year in 2024 to avoid the constant distraction of us constantly writing and asking the question, is he just going to be gone in a couple of years here? Well, Minnesota's never had that, you know, they had a young Marion Gabrick, but they haven't had that electrifying player. And I'll tell you, honestly, I, I never gravitated to watch the wild more than I had this year because of, of, uh, Kirill. He was, he was an electrifying player and Kevin Fiala is a really good player as well. So let's get to him on what, what numbers are, are you hearing? What numbers are you thinking for Fiala on a, on a term and a salary? Well, I, you know, I think Kaprizov sitting back in, uh, in Europe right now, looking, looking at this uh, almost with popcorn saying, all right, they just gave eight years and 5.25 to Ericsson Eck. And I've got a pretty good sense of what they're offering Kaprizov. Well, I'm the guy that's been here longer. I'm the guy that's had two good years in a row. I'm the guy that lived up to my bargain on the, on the bridge deal that he just signed the, the two year six, uh, $6 million deal at three per so I think he's sitting there and wanting big time money. I think he wants term and money. I don't know if the wild want to go long-term with him. I would really doubt it. I think they want to go. They've always wanted to go four or five years max with him, but I think he wants serious money. I think he's looking at more than seven, maybe even eight. And that's what, you know, he just, he, he has hired uh, uh, Craig Oster from Newport and, and, um, and let go uh, Claude Lemieux after the bridge deal. So that's also to me a sign of somebody they expect to be paid handsomely. Um, and I think he wants to be the man here. And, and so we'll see where that goes. The problem is, is that cap hit is, is definitely, we're going to have to see who they lose in expansion and then start to count the dollars right now. They only have about 15.9 million and that's to fill out the entire roster. They only have 15 guys signed. So there's going to have to be something to give. And I really do genuinely believe 
that Philly has at least dangled Fiala's name out there to see if he's the type of player that can maybe earn this team a, a number one or two center. Um, and, and uh, you know, we'll see where that goes. But uh, my gut says that Fiala is looking to hit a home run contract here, and I don't know if Billy Guerin can stomach that. And, again, uh, the cap situation is what it is, and so they're going to have to figure out, um, you know, how that, how that sorts itself out here. And I think a lot of it's going to have to do with – you know, what, who they lose in expansion. Do they lose Dumba? Do they lose a Susie? Um, you know, and that all then could determine if they wind up having to buy out uh, Zach Parisi or even maybe get Zach to waive his no move to be traded for another team to buy him out. I think that's probably unlikely, um, but that's another potential avenue that the wild could take is to try to see if there's a team that needs to get to the cap floor or has a bunch of cap space that's willing to take on that dead money. The problem is it's a huge burden for any team, even Seattle, to take that type of buyout. Um, right. It's not so much the first yeah. year, it's the next three. Yeah. And, and we just saw with Vegas. I mean, Vegas in years three, four of their organization just ran into serious cap issues. And mm-hmm. Seattle's a team that wants to be competitive and wants to, and, uh, you know, for, by all reporting, wants to spend to the cap legitimately and not with just a bunch of dead money. And, you know, we'll see what type of assets maybe Billy can offer up Ron Francis to do something like that. But that, you know, um, you know, really it's the, it's, you know, two and a half this year, and then it goes to six and a half, seven and a half, seven and a half, and then eight thirty three for, for the next four years after that. And I just don't know if that's something that really any team would want to take on just in case all of a sudden Seattle has the t- same type of success that, that a Vegas has and needs suddenly needs that cap space to spend on their own guys. Can you imagine if Seattle has to get rid of guys in years three and four, and it's because they have a dead cap hit of seven and a half for Zach Parisi. So um, you know, I think that was sort of a, you know, wild fantasy by wild fans and probably media that were throwing out there, you know, a couple of weeks ago, but, you know, I still think that's probably an unlikely scenario here. Um, so it's, it's something's going to have to give this off season. There's no doubt about it. And, and it's uh, really hard to fully grasp exactly what's going on. Well, you're right, Mike, because you start to do the back of the napkin math at just some of the numbers that you were throwing out. Yeah. If Caprice offs around seven on a, you know, a medium term deal. And if, Fiala's, you know, the number I kept hearing for Fiala was around eight, as yep. you mentioned, all of a sudden that's 15. You're going, okay, how do they make this work moving forward? Yeah. One of the avenues as a short-term fix, like we just talked about, would be that Parise buyout, but only for the first year, it really right. benefits you. You're only kind of kicking the can down the road a year is what you're doing. Um, so then that leads us to the expansion draft. And one way to unload a salary, would that be that way? And everyone continues to focus and has Matt Dumba's name circled, as you mentioned, I just have a hard time believing that the Wild are going to be willing to let Matt Dumba go in the expansion draft. I think he would be the target from Seattle. It makes sense to me that way. Um, but I think they realize what a, how big he was to that team last season and, and sort of the energy that he brings to that group. Um, so moving forward, could you envision if the expansion list kind of sets up that way that they might be willing to make a side deal in order to protect Matt Dumba? I think that they, that Billy has definitely talked that he would be willing to do that. No, I, 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 that gives a lot of wild fans indigestion because they all of a sudden remember back four years ago when the wild did that to, to protect Dumba as well, Dumba and a couple other guys. And they uh, basically made a deal, gave them Alex Tuck so they could take Eric Halla. And, and then both guys have monster years and they go to the Stanley, Stanley Cup final. Um, so that, that always makes wild fans nervous. But I think with, you know, the amount of draft picks they have, the amount of um, mid, mid-range mid prospects that they have, that, that that's something that he would talk to Ron Francis about. I know that Billy Guerin doesn't want to lose Matt Dumba. I, I think he loves the top four of this blue line. Um, but he might ha- not have a choice. And if it looks like Ron Francis isn't, uh, you know, uh, isn't um, entertaining some sort of side deal in that avenue, he might have to just trade him for futures in some other trade as well. It's not easy, though, to trade Matt Dumba. They tried all offseason. It didn't get done. He makes $7.4 million, I believe, in real money next year. So that's a, that's a big ticket for, for, for Matt. But he is coming off a very, you know, a rebound year. And um, it's going to be just another interesting wrinkle here. And, and um, this organization has been pretty quiet for a team that uh, is going to be very busy here in the next two weeks. And that's why I just think behind the scenes right now, Bill Guerin and his staff, he's brought in Ray Shiro, he's Randy Sexton here. I think they're, they're workshopping a lot of different avenues, making a lot of different calls to try to figure out how to um, unwind this cobweb that they find themselves in here. Because uh, it, it just, you know, you, you add the expansion 
problem to this and it takes already what was a complicated offseason and makes it just that much more difficult could victor rask be that odd guy out I, you know you mentioned the draft picks one of the things i had heard russo was leveraging that extra first round pick that the wild have this year and try and package that with a victor rask to go to seattle to make sure that they don't take a guy like matt dumba could that make sense to you See, it would for me. I don't know if it would for Ron Francis. Now, Ron Francis, uh, he is the one that signed Victor Rask to this contract, and it, he's entering the last year at $4 million, so he might have an affinity for him. But I don't know if he would do that, um, you know, in lieu of taking a really good player in Carson Soucy or Matt Dumba. That's, to me, what the interesting thing is. And, and um, you know, with the, the actual entry draft coming after the expansion draft, that also might um, complicate matters because if you're going to – if you're going to – you know, they, they have a, the – 21st and 25th pick really 22nd and 26th just because of uh, Arizona having the void pick. But, you know, I, I think that almost, I think uh, I almost said Carolina, but I think Seattle would love to know who's going to be there at those numbers to see if it would be worth taking a Rask at a first to m make that sort of side deal. Um, but I think it's, I think that is the way that I would go with Billy. I just don't know if, if you can somehow sway Seattle with just a, you know, a pick in the twenties, to just take a Rask over having the ability to even take a Nico Sturm. I mean, Nico Sturm, somebody that I think is a really good player, you know, Nico in a lot of ways, I'm not saying he's William Carlson, but if you follow that sort of template that Vegas had, if you look at a Nico Sturm, who's been playing fourth line center here, had a great rookie year, you know, Seattle might look at him and say, you know what, could we elevate him in our lineup where Minnesota can't and all of a sudden maybe untap some potential there for a guy like that. So, you know, right now, the way if the wild go the seven, three, one route, and they don't ask Parisi to wave as no move for the purposes of expansion, um, Nico is probably going to be unprotected. Susie and Dumbo would, would be unprotected. And now you have three really quality players. And as a first round pick in the twenties going to be good enough to get you off that to take Victor Rask, you know, to me, that's, that's the question. Now, maybe it's not realistic. Uh, what about their goaltender, Mike? But yeah, that, they claim yeah that's a that's a great question, too, because we're not talking about the goaltending. And I think they're going to protect Talbot. I think um, two months ago they were going to protect Kakinen and then Talbot just took off and Kakinen, um, you, you know, I, I, the, the big common belief among scouts in this league is that Kakinen is a is not a number one, that he's going to okay. be a number two throughout his career. And I think the Wild have that same belief. Um, even though Kakinen had a heck of a year and was riding this team when Talbot was first injured and then uh, had the COVID and then had the COVID issue and had to miss 14 days. And Kakinen really uh, impressed me and obviously won a ton of games for this team. And at one point was in the Calder conversation until he really fell apart his last eight or nine starts. So, um, but I do think the wild because they have changed their mind and they're going to protect Talbot. And so now you have Kakinen in the situation and, you know, you don't know at 24 years old, what Seattle uh, thinks of him. And, you know, that could be another option for them to take. You know, we keep on talking Susie Dumba and Nico Sturm while Kakinen's sitting there as well. And I think that would be the worst case scenario for the Wild if all of a sudden uh, Kakinen or Sturm were taken. Because the other thing that the Wild really need in expansion, if, if they're going to lose a player, they could use the cap flexibility. And that's the only, to me, to me, the benefit if you lost to Dumba is at least you're getting $6 million back. Yeah. Um, you know, to have to spend this offseason and spend on guys like Caprice Afiala and fill out the rest of the roster. Even Carson Soucy's in the 275 range. If the Wild go into expansion and lose a $725,000 player, um, I think that's going to be really a problem for them. And then they're going to have to almost uh, figure out how they're going to respond to that. But that's I do think that, that Seattle has. We were just I know. talking about this before you joined, yeah. looking at Tampa saying like, look, yes. we've all these expensive guys exposed. They're like, look, we're taking a guy that makes 925, convince us otherwise. Yep, yeah. exactly. We'll take, yeah, you, you, you expect us to take Ryan McDonough. We're going to take Cal Foot. How about that? Uh, you know, it, it, it's an interesting thing that Ron Francis finds himself on, and he's a very smart guy, and he keeps everything in-house. And, um, you know, it, it really is a fascinating, team, a fascinating thing. But it's what, to me, is so fascinating, just from a, you know, from a, a tunnel vision standpoint, covering the Minnesota Wild, is that, the wild, this is two expansion drafts in a row where they have been, you know, they've had their minds turned into a pretzel by this thing. And I remember when Billy Guerin first got to Minnesota, he's like, you know, we're not going to follow down that suit of losing an Alex talk. You know, I don't, we're just going to accept that we're going to lose one good player and all that stuff. And here he is year and a half, two years later. And he's like, ah, you know, maybe I shouldn't have been talking because he finds himself in that situation where he's trying to figure out many different ways to maneuver and manipulate this whole process. 
And then as, as we've all talked about, then he's got that added problems of Fiala and Kaprizov and filling out the rest of the roster and the fact that this team still uh, is extremely weak up the middle. And he's got a lot of work to do here, which could explain why he's been sort of on radio silence here the last week, because I don't think he wants a lot of this stuff out in the public airways. Now, both you and Frank have, have mentioned the same number. And I need you guys... I look at Kevin Fiala. He, uh, you know, even if we prorate his numbers, it's 65 and 69 points the last two years. Uh, you look at points per game the last two seasons. He's not a top 50 player either one. Like, it's great that you want to ask for $8 million. I don't see remotely how that's realistic for the Wild. Like, they, yeah. you know, I just – and it's not like this guy's two years in and, and he, like he's been in the league for, for many years. Like, he's a good player. I like yeah. him. But that seem am, am I missing something here? Does that seem really high? No, it does seem high. And I will say a lot of this is conjecture. You know, it's not like I'm getting this from either side. You know, a lot of this is just, I will say, working the working the room, so to speak, and talking to a lot of sources that, that are, you know, can, that have a lot better knowledge on me. And, and so I just think he's aiming high right now. And I think if he continues to aim high right there, I just don't see that Billy Guerin's going to do that. And he could find himself on another team. Um, you know, he was in a contract squabble a couple of years ago. Now, a lot of that contract dispute with the Wild was uh, delayed because all of a sudden Paul Fenton was fired at the end of July and they went three weeks without a general manager. And Tom Curvers, the acting GM at the time, was not about to sign, uh, you know, uh, Kevin Fiala to a long term deal without knowing that he wasn't going to be the GM of the team. So then Bill came in on August 20th and then picked it up. The first act that he really did was sign Spurgeon to the extension. Um, but then he started to really work on, on Fiala. And I think he was blown away that how difficult it was to get Fiala signed. And he signed eventually the bridge deal on the Eva camp and it kept him out of camp for a couple of weeks and really delayed the start of his season. Um, he, he just was got off to a real slow start and he delayed his, uh, I, I should mention it, it delayed his, the start of the season, not because of really the contract dispute, but because he signed so late um, it was hard for him to get a work visa in time. And so he missed a couple of weeks and it really, uh, you know, slowed things down. And then he absolutely erupted starting in November, but really in, in the end of January, February, up until the pause of two seasons ago. And this year, you know, same thing, slow start to the year, but then he really uh, caught fire there mid-season and late and scored a bunch of clutch goals. Not a great postseason, tons of chances, um, had a huge game six, but but wasn't as productive as the Wild had expected here. So I just think, you know, and you guys know this, there are certain guys that you probably want to keep hungry, that you want to keep on sort of short-term deals, not throw them seven or eight years, and then, you know, they go into sort of retirement mode. Um, you know, Yul Eriksson Ek is one of those guys wired in a way that I think that Billy Guerin felt like the term and the security would not get him to change his approach, where I just think that certain players, they have a little concern on whether or not they're going to go and give seven or eight years. They've obviously offered that to Kaprizov. There's no way they offer it to Fiala unless the salary of that deal was uh, – extremely, extremely uh, beneficial to them. So, you know, I, I see the wild offering him three, four years, maybe five max. Um, I'd even be shocked on a five-year deal. And I just think this is going to be a fight now. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they've made headway this week. Uh, the good news is that they've started talking um, the wild and, and Craig Oster, his agent, and we'll see where this goes. Obviously we, we all know that Newport's a very reasonable, uh, you know, people there. Craig Oster is a sensational agent and, you know, my gut says they eventually get it done. But if, if this gets to a point where the wild could use Fiala in a deal to go get a center, I, I could see them absolutely doing that. Hmm. Like you, for a lot of people who aren't wild fans, they probably look and say, why would you give eight years to a guy like Eric Sinek? Cause people don't watch him. You watch him every day. Is Eric Sinek like Bergeron Barkoff light? A little bit is he underappreciated maybe for his overall game or is, like i'm not saying he's suddenly going to be a multiple self yeah if win or anything but like what is it that they like so much about erickson x well i mean he is he, one he's such a pro he's only 24 years old and they feel that especially in an organization one there are two things here is that the wild have proven for 20 years how difficult it is to acquire centers so here they have a really good one that was fourth in selkie voting had a breakout year with 19 goals in a shortened season albeit against uh you know playing seven teams four of them being the three california teams in arizona so i think that helps your production a little bit uh with the way that those teams were defensively this year um but he's keeps himself in impeccable shape 
And he's just this great, great character, a shutdown guy that just annoys a lot of people. But in this organization, with how light they are at center, you know, he's going to continue to get big time minutes here. And he's going to start to get really significant power play time and more like second line winners, maybe potentially, uh, you know, scoring skilled wingers on his side. So I think the, the gamble that the Wild are taking is that if he continues to elevate his role in this team and continues his production, that not, not only is he going to be this great defensive center that they have, but he's actually going to be a quality two-way center that can put up points every single year. And because of that, if all of a sudden he starts putting up points for a guy that's a UFA in, in 2024 as well, you know, suddenly he could be a six or seven million dollars player. So they decided to take the gamble, take him to age 32 and feel like eventually that that AAV is going to be really, really reasonable in a, in a cap world that eventually is going to go up as well. So that was the gamble they took. Um, I always thought he'd be in the four, seven, five range, but I never thought that they'd go eight years. And I think that was sort of the give and take that they did. Um, but yeah, at first the term shocked me. Um, but I know how much this team absolutely loves him. I also know how, how hard it is for this team to uh, keep centers and have centers. And, and um, this is an organization that hasn't developed a ton of really quality centers. Or when they draft a center, eventually he just miraculously becomes a winger. That's been a huge trend here in Minnesota. I mean, we're seeing that with Matt Boldy right now. I mean, Matt Boldy yeah. looks like he, he's going to be a really, really quality winger. Um, and, you know, we'll see uh, Marco Rossi if he could continue to be up the middle and develop in that situation when he comes to the team as well. But that was why they went eight years there. And um, it's a gamble that they hope that will pay off, at least for the first time in wild history. They gave that eight year deal to a guy in his you know, lower half of his 20s rather than a 30 year old. Hmm. Mike, um, last question for me, uh, you know it's dependent on so much on what happens with all these questions that we've asked you over the last few minutes, but how good can this wild team be? You know, I think it's, it's good. I mean, that is the other challenge here from Billy Guerin is he's trying to also keep this team on the rise. And I think this team has the ability to be really good in the next couple of years, but I think Billy's challenge is that he really believes one reason why this team is great is that top four blue line, which is why he's trying to figure out everything in his humanly possible to keep Dumba in the fold here. But eventually the reality is, is that Suter, Brodine and Spurgeon all have no moves and Dumba's UFA in two years. So I still think it would probably be smart of him to try to move Dumba and you, and then, you know, suddenly, you know, go out and stopgap that until maybe a Kalen Addison develops and things like that. But there, you know, what I think excites wild fans and excites Billy Guerin is for the first time in a long, long time, because the wild in the previous regimes had to use, they were in always in win mound, win now mode, and they always had traded draft picks and prospects and things like that. This team has a pipeline of really quality kids coming. And, you know, last year, Judd Brackett had a great draft with Rossi, and hopefully he's completely healthy. Um, I was texting with him the other day. He's feeling great. He's, he's seeing videos of him on the ice, thankfully, uh, you know, thankfully for his health situation primarily, but for his career as well. He looks like he is back on the mend and will be and doing everything possible to make this team out of camp. You have Boldy here. You have Huznadina, um, Ryan O'Rourke. I was talking to our prospect writer, Corey Pronman, the other day. He absolutely loves the Damon Hunt pick in last year's draft and loved what he did in the WHL this year. So suddenly, yeah, Adam Beckman is in the fold as well. Um, so they have all these kids coming, which is what I think also gives Bill Aguirre flexibility that if he wants to eventually move a Fiala, a Greenway, a Dumba, that he has that ability because he also added Addison as well. So, um, you know, and, and as we saw this year, I mean, you know, it's not always a given that just because Vegas and Colorado are are loaded with talent that they're going to wind up in the Stanley cup final every year. And so Minnesota, if they can get to that point where they can compete with those teams, I think that they, that they could continue, but I think they're going to continue to be a competitive team. And now it's just a matter of if these kids can develop to really move this team over the top. So this organization can finally um, after 20 years, take that next step. All right, Mike, we appreciate it. Uh, we always like to end in rapid fire and uh, the only rule you have to answer every question. Okay, right, great. So, uh, I'm, I'm great at these rapid fires. Yeah. So here we go. Uh, you had a unique situation because you covered hockey in Florida and in Minnesota, two vastly different states, two vastly different hockey markets. What was the major difference in covering hockey in Minnesota to Florida? Oh, I don't want to offend uh, the Florida fans, but just the rabidness. Like in Minnesota, you just feel like you know who you're writing for, where that just wasn't always the case in Florida. Now, maybe it's the social media world, but but, uh, you know, just the, the rabid nature of hockey fans here, you just they just absolutely love the sport. And it just excites me as a hockey writer to know that you're writing to people that just totally get it and love it. What was the best or most underrated part about covering hockey in Florida? 
Uh, probably the weather. You know, I mean, it was great. The other thing is Frank could attest that Frank would appreciate is that when I covered the Florida Panthers, and I didn't know I'm not being rapid, they were a dysfunctional franchise. And as a beat writer, that makes it fun sometimes. That makes it awesome. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, your cocktail of choice, alcoholic or non-alcoholic, uh, after a long day of, uh, of digging in on stories? Uh, red wine, usually a, a Cab Sauvignon or, a, you know, probably a Chianti Classico. So if, if Russo's at the uh, Professional Hockey Writers uh, year-end party and the karaoke machine is there, what song are you singing? <laughs> uh, probably um, it's going to be a Trampled by Turtle song, which you guys might not be familiar with. They're a huge band here in Minnesota. And probably uh, I would say Winners by Trampled by Turtles. Oof. Of the current reporters, who's the number one guaranteed fun night on the town? Um. I'd say Pierre Lebrun. Uh, every time I'm out with him, I just have a blast. He just holds court, drink great wine. Uh, it's always a blast. One of my favorite nights out, and I've had a ton with him, was uh, was uh, at Burns Steakhouse during the All-Star game in Tampa. And uh, he bought, like, Frank, were you there for that? He I bought, wasn't, but I've heard the story. Yeah, yeah, he bought, like, a. there was some vintage from, I think it was, a, I don't know like if it was 90s. a Bordeaux. He bought a 1967 and a 1977 of the same exact wine, and we all taste tested it. And I'm, I'm telling you that 1967 tasted like you were drinking dirt. Like you tasted the oldness in that wine. And the 77 was unbelievable. And I just, I just, I still tell that story because I just love to know, like we were drinking a bottle of wine that was in that bottle for 50 some odd years and in a, in a barrel before then. I just thought that was unbelievable that, that, that uh, we were, and, and of course, uh, as you know, Pierre, he was kind enough to to actually pay for the meal, pay for oh. the drinks, I should say. Okay, so Kaprizov, what term? What AAV? I'd say five years at seven and a half. And who do you think your best guess today? The Wild are going to lose in expansion. Um, I, I honestly, genuinely believe it's going to be Carson Susi, but uh, but we will see. Mike. Oh, yeah, I guess one last one. You joked about it earlier because the Wild, I think you look at teams in 2017, Florida, Columbus, and Minnesota were like the poster boys of how they maybe outthought themselves at expansion. And do you think, have they learned from it or could, uh, could history repeat itself? You know, I think they've learned from it, but I do think Billy is willing to give up assets. I just don't think that he, like, I, like he's not giving up a Rossi or a Boldy or something like that in a deal like this. Um, but, you know, would he give up a first? Would he get, they have five picks in their top three. Would he give up a Beckman? Um, you know, I think he might consider it. I, you know, I think he should be just careful and, and just lose the player that they're going to take that that'd be personally what I do, but I can see where right now he finds himself in a lot of complicated decisions here. Well, Mike, thanks for joining us, man. Minnesota is definitely one of the teams to watch heading in for so many reasons, contracts, potential buyouts, trades, expansion draft. Uh, it's going to be a fun few weeks. Yep, definitely. Uh, thanks, Jason. Thanks, Frank. It was a pleasure being on here. Thanks, Russo. It's going to be an interesting time in Minnesota. And Frank, we didn't talk to Mike. I, you know, I'm kicking myself now. I literally just thought about it. But, you know, we talked about a guy like Parise waving his no movement clause, even just to, you know, allow some more protection. Well, their back ends where they have trouble. I don't, would Ryan Suter wave it? Because I don't see Seattle claiming him and then they could protect Dumba. Like I think happen. that almost makes more sense than Parise. They have identical contracts. And so for all the reasons that we mentioned, getting that $5 million in savings next year, but in addition to having another defensive spot, if you go seven, three, and one, that you could then protect your guys. Suter to me makes more sense. Obviously there's been a pretty significant decline in terms of his play. He's got all the same question marks, although just not as rapidly as Parise did with the healthy scratches. He's still a serviceable player, just not commensurate to his cap hit. And that's only going to get worse as time goes on. Honestly, I really wonder if he makes more sense than Parise. Just there hasn't seemed to be any rumblings about that just yet. As a buyout? Yeah, I, I do think Ryan Suter makes more sense. Yeah. Mm. Oh, geez. This man, this offseason is going to be crazy. You know, we didn't even touch on the Jack Eichel, uh, where he's going to go. Lots going on. So I look forward to Monday to catch up because really, in the, uh, over the weekend, lots can change in the NHL as buyouts open up and, you know, potential trades and everything else. This next three weeks, I believe, is going to be one of the most exciting three weeks we've seen in NHL offseason in a long, long time. Yep, totally agree. Let's do it. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Cervalli and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. All right, hockey fans, listen up, because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Face-Off Playoff Parlay Challenge, and let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.